Welcome back to another episode of For Fintech's Sake. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Pettit. My guest today is my friend Ohad Samet, CEO of True Accord. True Accord is a digital debt collection agency that is reinventing the collections experience. Ohad had quite a journey that led him to True Accord. In this episode, we dig into the fascinating background and how all of that led him to being the perfect founder for True Accord today. We recorded this conversation a few weeks back, so some of the data points have changed a bit with how fast things are changing in the world right now. Suffice it to say, the world needs True Accord now more than ever. I always learn a lot and laugh a lot when I talk with Ohad, and I have a hunch you will too. Enjoy this episode of For Fintech Sake. Good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> when I look at you, I just think Robin Williams, man. That just, that aligns perfectly. How you doing? I am. I'm well. I'm well. How are you? I'm good, man. That looks like a nice setup down there. You in a, you in a Swedish basement. Everything looks white and clean. That is exactly right. Here's my uh, lawn, lawnmower. See my lawnmower? I do. Yeah. Uh, you, have, yeah. you have a lawn, man. What a, what a the lawn is right there. Yeah. Oh. The suburbs. Luxury, man. Luxury. How long have you been there? You've been in Sweden for like a couple months now, right? Uh, I, mean, I know you've lived there for a while, but like how long have you been kind of cooped up? Yeah. A month. A month. Yeah. How you, how you hanging in there? Your hair looks normally kind of out of control. Not, not like any crazier than normal. So it's exactly. So I, I usually, usual, I usually, yeah, I usually take a lot of time between, uh, between haircuts. So there you go. Um, I, my life in Sweden is basically quarantine. I live between my basement and the airport. So it's all good. What can I say? <laughs> is, Sweden, is Sweden nuts right now? I mean, is it, or, I mean, Sweden's always had a, you know, a logical way of looking at the world and a good healthcare system. So I imagine it's maybe less crazy. Sweden is not quarantining. Oh, really? Not quarantining. Seems to be doing okay. Yeah. That's the thing I told, I told Luis yesterday, my wife, I like, how, how is it that how did they manage to live in three countries? that whenever something big happens in the world, at least two of them are involved. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I managed to do it. I don't know why Sweden has to butt into everything that Israel does not. Yeah. Israel, Sweden, and the U.S. is quite a triumvirate, my friend. Exactly. (laughs) How are you doing? That's what I want to know. I'm, you know, a, a month into a new gig where everybody, like right when I was leaving NBKC, mm-hmm. everybody else was because of COVID, right? Like everybody went remote right. at the same time. And then right when I joined Bond, uh, I was supposed to be in San Francisco four weeks ago and just hmm. everything shut down. Yes. So, you know, I was number like 27, 28, something like that at the company. I think we're over 30 now and I still have met like four of our team in person and yeah. that's it. So it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre thing. And also doing like partnerships and content is a weird thing to do stuck in an apartment. And I also don't have a brain meant for like remote work in a lot of ways, yes. like movement and being around. And like, I think you've, you've seen me enough around in public that I have a very hard time fucking sitting down for yes. an extended period of time. So yeah, this is not, this is not an extroverts time. It's, it's really not. I'm trying to lean into my introversion where it does exist, but it's, uh, no, it's tough. I mean, I'm like I'm walking around talking to walls and shit. So anyways, it's, it's getting better though. It's getting better. Um, so jumping into the actual like background of OHOT a little bit and the background of 
and kind of how that leads to True Accord. Talk to me about where you're from, how that kind of led you down this entrepreneurial path. You're from a, a very entrepreneurial geography in the first place. Yeah, I um, I graduated university in... I don't know, 1963. When was that? Uh, <laughs> sometime pre, pre-moon, yeah, pre-moon landing. Sometime um, 2000, 2005. And I, I was looking for a job um, on, on my last year, actually. And um, frankly, I never, I was not in computers. I was not, I was, I was into internet, the internet and computers, but I was not a an engineer, was not aware of startups, what they meant. Yeah. I was a grunt in the Did- army. You studied philosophy, right? Biology like the, and philosophy, yeah. Biology and philosophy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so I was just looking for a job. And startups were just becoming a thing in Israel without getting too much into public policy. They changed something in 2003 that attracted a lot of foreign capital. Mm. So startups were becoming a thing and uh, I was interviewing. And actually through some, some agency, found a startup and they interviewed me and I became, this was pre-machine learning at scale. So they were hiring subject, people to become subject matter experts in their fraud prevention systems. And then afterwards we could train labeled data and, and train the, the engine. And I didn't know anything, but it sounded good. And I became yeah. the fifth employee and our company was called NPX. Now we, I joined in the beginning of 2003, uh, 2005, sorry. And by the time we got acquired by PayPal in 2008, we were called for sciences and we were 65 people and I was running all of ops and analytics. So very, that's lucky. wild. Yeah. It was yeah. very lucky. The story there was pretty cool. I mean, we, so the founders were uh, raising a seat. And they were raising from Benchmark and Benchmark said, part of the due diligence, so like you should talk to this guy that we know at PayPal. He's the CTO. His name is Scott. Uh, same Scott who became uh, CEO of Yahoo for a short period of time. And then, oh, okay. yeah, great. Actually, great guy. And I enjoyed working with him very much. Um, so he checked out the solution and he basically famously said, if this works, I don't want to work with you. I want to own you. <laughs> and uh, we had uh, we had a great CEO at the time, someone I really look up to, Gadi Meyer, and uh, he turned a uh, small acquisition proposal into a larger acquisition proposal, and we ended up being acquired for 169 million dollars on like 12 million dollars raised. And you were employee number five and I was 26. So you probably fell backwards into some money that you were not expecting this early in your life to some degree, like that, that luck piece you talked about. Yes, absolutely. I had not, I did not have a percentages in the company, but I had enough for money that I never realized. I never thought I would own. Right. Yeah. And that became PayPal Israel. And I, they, they flew us over to start, you know, working with the team there and integration and stuff like that. And, um, I took one look in San, at San Francisco in the Bay area. I'm like, I am moving here. I don't know how, don't care. I'm moving. And that became my, my singular focus. Um, and, and they moved me Well, we were acquired at the beginning of 2008 and Thanksgiving of 2009, I landed in uh, in California with a L1 visa international transfer 
Okay. And immediately started working on my green card. This was this was luck number two because well I was I was dogged. I'm getting a green card. I got all the. You need to prove that you got vaccinations for the green card. I'm like I don't care. I'm just gonna get all of them again. <laughs> maybe not totally safe but all right i don't know whatever yeah, I'm, I'm obviously i'm not an anti-vaxxer okay yeah clearly you're you're a double vaxxer yeah exactly got got everything wrote my own application really hounded the lawyers and like luck number two that was 2010 people were not applying for green cards because of the recession right. so i applied yeah. in march got my green card in june Wow. Is that, that sounds fast. Highly, to what I, high, very, very, very fast. Even, okay. even for the type of visa I was on, it was incredibly fast. Very surprising. It was supposed to yeah. be a year at least. It was three months. Yeah. You can tell I'm an American board white dude that I have absolutely no idea what the standard, uh, you know, standard time frame is there, but that, oh. yeah. Anything that the government does in that amount of time with that kind of size sounds yeah, immigration is a nightmare. And I was very, very lucky in that regard. Got my green card. And by September, I was out. I was like, guys. Was that, a, was that a culture shock moving here? Or were you like ready to jump all the way into it? And like you were, you were kind of moving on to thinking about your next company by that point, right? Um, culture shock. U.S. was not a culture shock. I've always wanted to move. To the U.S., I have yeah. uh, I have family in Milwaukee, of all places. Of course, you do. Yeah, from Israel to Milwaukee. That's uh, just that yeah. <laughs> and um, so that was good. Uh, corporate America was a was a culture shock. Yeah, we were isolated yeah. in in Israel, and when I moved over, I was like, "What the? F- what is going on?" Just like the bureaucracy and the general bullshititude, or what? Uh, well, the. Culmination was I was walking around campus, the PayPal campus with a friend of mine who then went on to like run all of analytics for Facebook and then a bunch of stuff for Sequoia, like super talented guy. And he was explaining to me how we were both a level 27 senior manager and how, what kind of support would we need to be, go up the ranks to be promoted to level 28? And I was, I came out of the conversation saying either I am a D and D, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons character, or I'm, I'm wondering if that's what you were referring to. <laughs> that's funny. No, that was it. That was, that was yeah. corporate America. And that was going to be my life. I was either to ex- go, going to accept it or not. I was not going to accept it. Yeah. So I was out very quickly. <laughs> And then doing your OHAD thing, you moved into just kind of thinking about the next project. Then it was, it was actually a, um, a really interesting uh, period. Also very lucky. So the idea was this, I was going to um, sit at home, learn Python because I've never spent a lot of time learning coding, uh, learn Python, code the product. And that product was going to be um, basically sock puppet I identifying sock puppets and like fake accounts for social networks. Huh. Okay. Makes sense. Five, 10 years too early, but makes sense. Right. Yeah. You could have probably saved the U S from some, some pain. Had you done that a little later or the company would have died, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either way, either way. Anyway. So the idea was I'm sitting home, I'm sitting at home. And again, thankfully for that exit and the, and the incredible generosity, by the way, of the founders of, of fraud sciences, 
Um, I was going to sit at home, not take salary, learn to code, build that product on my own. And in the meantime, I was going to work on a consultancy with my brother. And that mm-hmm. was going to evolve into some kind of a product in consumer credit underwriting, analytics, something. And I started to work and I got this LinkedIn message, LinkedIn message from a recruiter um, who's like, Listen, um, I'm, I'm recruiting for a senior position in a great technology company in the Nordics. They want someone to run risk. I was like, dude, I'm not going to the Nordics. Uh, so <laughs> pass. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I continue working. I code, you know, we were kind of, with my brother, we're looking for projects and kind of looking for direction. And then I get an inbound from a friend of mine. I was like, there's this startup and I didn't make the connection, but there's this company in the Nordics. Uh, they are trying to hire someone. They're actually, they actually want to hire someone who used to report to you. And okay. he wants to do a referral. Will you meet with him? I'm like, great. I'll meet with him. Met with a guy, sat with him in Palo Alto, gave him the reference said goodbye, continued to continue working. A couple of months later, the guy writes to me and he says, listen, uh, we decided not to hire that guy, uh, but we want to hire you. You are our next hmm. chief risk officer. And I said, no, I have a startup. I'm working. By the way, that startup became Signified. It's like an actual fraud prevention company. Uh, yep. But we'll get there. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not interested, uh, but we have a consulting company, you know, that's looking for product ideas. We can do something for you, like a consulting gig. It's like, great. How much? Blah, blah, blah. Come to Sweden. Came to Sweden. That was November of 20, 2010. Spent a week, wrote out my recommendations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a consultant. So I was basically like, fire this guy, fire this guy, hire this guy. <laughs> no, like, yeah. no slides. Sure. sure. <laughs> Given that, got the check, said thank you, went back home, continued coding. A month later, he writes to me, he's like, um, this is great. Now we want to hire you to be our chief risk officer to implement this. I said, no, I have my startup, but we can do a project for you. So my, my brother, who is my, my co-founder in that kind of gig, negotiated a really healthy project for us. And we hired a, a couple of people and we started working on kind of like a hybrid of consulting slash. Um, product and basically at the end of it, like in the beginning of 2011, the CEO, Sebastian came to me and said, well, how much for the company? Uh, and we gave him a number and he said, yes. And we're like, oh shit, we didn't think, <laughs> I didn't think yes. we were going to take the number. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Uh, guess, yes. And we joined. Uh, it was, it was yeah. like, we didn't have a product yet. So it was absolutely a talent acquisition, but we looked at the numbers yeah. and we were like, this is a life changing. Yeah. Um, for us. And I, I remember you saying something previously in one of our conversations, or maybe it was somewhere else. I heard you talking that like that time that you spent there was so eye opening in terms of the, your ability to see how you could help. Right. Yes. Like I think you were saying something about like just paper and printers and fax machine. I mean, just kind of, you know, all of the jokes that we make about kind of incumbent technology companies and like it's amazing where Klarna got based on what they had, but you saw kind of what you could do if they were to pull people with your kind of brains and the brains of your team in there. Yeah. That was, you know, that's actually how I, I sell a lot of senior positions to record as well. <laughs> I like, I Elabor- to, elaborate on that. Well, I, I talk to an executive and I say, hey, listen, I'm going to be honest with you about what's not working and what I'm looking for. 
right? Yeah. And one of what I hope that you'll get to uh, the conclusion I hope you'll reach is this company is working like gangbusters. I completely mm-hmm. understand why it's like a great idea and it's going to be very successful. However, the areas that I know are either broken or just like I, I need, I can, I can improve them significantly. And mm-hmm. if that makes you excited about, oh, it's already working and I can see all the things that I can fix. Yeah. And if I fix yeah. them and work much better, then you can get really excited. And that's exactly what yeah. happened to us. That there was no product organization. There was no risk yeah. organization. So I ended up being the chief risk officer. My brother ended up being the chief product officer and then basically CTO as well. It's like a, it's like a hero's journey kind of a thing. It's like the nerdiest hero's journey that we may not write a book about, but it's it's a hero's journey in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. uh, You can't get away from family with these business things. Can you, you, so you started that company with your brother. Is there anybody that might've been added to your family through the Klarna relationship? Hypothetically? Well, you know, my wife. Yes. Oh, Uh, there it is. There it is. Uh, The CEO is my neighbor here in Sweden. That's hilarious. Yeah. Wow. I am, I am the, uh, the, it's very interesting. I, I love community and I love the idea of community and I love creating communities while being an extreme introvert and not being able to spend time with people like in a more too much. So I love people, but in small quantities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a really interesting thing. Like I constantly try to kind of organize things and kind of pull people that I know in and so on. Um, so yeah, that's like, that's the dynamic and, you know, let's, let's not, um, uh, sell any of my brothers short. Unlike me, they were not grunts. They went to the two top computer, uh, and intelligence units in the, in the Israeli army. They came out very highly recognized. My, uh, brother who stayed at Kalana stayed there for five years. Uh, you could not even claim it's like yeah. factual that his reputation is uh, much more, uh, much better than got, mine and much broader. Losses, losses down really low there, right? Like sub, sub 1%. I was like, wasn't it like 90 something bips? Yeah. 84 when I, when I was there. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. And, um, but, but you know, he grew a really incredibly big organization. My brother, who's my co-founder now is one of the best hackers I know. And someone who's really good with network analysis and has done a lot of the early building at Turacord. So yeah. Yeah. It's not only about family, it's about the talent that's around you. Having known you for a little time now, I mean, it's funny that part of it is kind of familial for you, but it also does seem like just these people just gravitate towards you when you're working on things like this. And when you have a certain <laughs> certain gestalt about the way that you talk about it and you handle it, really, I wanted to dig into it, especially because of like the time frame of when it was happening. Like mm-hmm. a lot of that was coming, going into and coming out of a recession. So yeah. it's just a story that gives... It gives me some hope about, you know, finding the right landing spots and just like handling the management and kind of leadership piece of that correctly in hard times. So let's, let's take that, take that thread forward into, into true accord. It sounds like kind of similar thing of, you know, you, you seem to have this cadence of build a thing, maybe sell a thing or like get a thing off and kind of running on its own and then start working on the next project. So Let's talk about that. Like, how did the kind of thesis for True Accord form? First, you know, I don't think a serial entrepreneur is a compliment. I think whenever you start a company, you want to really big, build the next big one and build a legacy. So, you know, when you, when you get married, you don't get married to get divorced. Uh, yeah. 
That's a really interesting way to think about that. Yeah, that's in my perspective. That's an Ohad way of thinking about it. So many people in this world would be like, oh man, I've had two exits under my belt. I'm a fucking G. And you're over here doing your doing your Ohad thing and being like, well, I could have done better. Look, I know I'm not complaining. <laughs> I'm not complaining about no, no, the financial no, know, results and the, and the freedom yeah. that comes with it and so on. It's like, you know, I, I want the capitalist game. Great. You know, pat myself on the back. But in terms of like of the legacy, what kind of what what like what is my you know how many lives have I impacted? A lot more with True Accord, with any than any other company. Even though you know we hired hundreds of people and so on, it's great. Yeah. Um, and so, so was that founding thesis like a to your point about the actual human that you help? That's one of the things that I've loved about True Accord since I we first had barbecue and gin together. Mm-hmm. Um, was the founding thesis very human or was the founding thesis very technical or both? Like, were you doing customer discovery, having conversations or was it like, Oh fuck, I know fraud. I know this, I know that. Like I know the back end of this. So I know how to build the right solution. It was absolutely both. Yeah. So it was, it was, look, I'm trying to, I'm a chief risk officer at Klarna. I'm underwriting two and a half billion dollars per year. I go to yeah. my VP of collections and say, Hey guy, we're adding text messaging to remind people about their payments. So they, so, you know, they, they're not late on their payments. And, and he asks, well, how many of these people can you get to call me? Because I just, I like people mm. to call. That's how I collect. And I like, and, and you tell yourself that is not, that is not how my brain works. Like I know this can be solved. Otherwise I've done this in fraud prevention. I've done this in credit underwriting. It can be done in collections and nobody answers the phone. Regulators don't like what, what we do. And plus, and this is one of the biggest things they learned at Klarna, the power of B2B2C when that actually works. We'll talk about Engage. Yeah. We can build an actual brand in collections. Now, did I know it was going to be really difficult and a slog and this was not going to be an Uber, you know, that, that you can... Yeah. Sell something. You can't grow that fast. I wouldn't think. I would think that your, your growth would be limited in a lot of ways, or if it wasn't limited, you'd be hit with shit would be hitting the fan right and left. Yeah. We could quadruple one year. And that was the toughest year of my professional life. I would just worked and sleep slept for, I think three or four months to just to fix things. So yeah. So did I know that? Yes. I absolutely knew that. Did I think that because it's my, depending on how you count third or fourth company. And I have the, I have the credibility. I'll be able to raise the money and manage to it and so on. Absolutely. Did I think it was to some extent, like my, my duty to take it on, not in a so box boxy kind of way or thinking that I am a special guy who can get shit done more than others, but yeah. But, but the founder way. market fit, like the founder market yeah. fit of it makes a shit ton of sense. Like you are, there's not a lot, not a lot of people in the world that approach that would approach the problem this way. And also that have the background that you do that make it like, I mean, you could just tell me with your background that you're going that direction. And if I have a, you know, a bank account where I could write you a check, I'd probably just write you a check and forget about it. Like it, it makes sense. And that, that is exactly what allowed us to actually yeah. get funded. Right. Because when we got the first check from, from Costa, that was exactly the dynamic because Kiefer boy, and this is not him telling me, this is someone else at Costa telling me, was walking down the hall, you know, figuratively and saying, we have to fund this guy. You know, this is what he did. It's a big market that fragmented low NPS. This is the type of investments we, we make. I didn't even know he was your first investor. That's fascinating. Yeah. Co- well, Coastal in general, I mean, eventually they're not on my board. So it's a little bit kind of in flux. He's not at Coastal anymore, but yeah, absolutely. Right, He's the guy right, who made right, it right. happen. Um, yeah. and that's absolutely based on reputation because we've, we've known each other before. I did a project for square in the early days. Okay. Um, 
And yeah, but you know, the other thing that I like about this company, about Record, is that this is this is capital D disruption. You know, people walk around in San Francisco and say with a straight face that they're changing the world. I don't know, one one ad delivery at a time or one right. laundry yeah. delivery at a time. I respect yeah. that. I humbly disagree that this is, you know, changing the world in that regard. Um, Record is changing the world. I am saying that with a straight face. I do not apologize for that. And if, if it takes one of my favorite things from, from Jeff Bezos is, you know, if you, if you want to innovate, you have to accept being misunderstood for a very long time. Yeah. I've accepted it. And I do think that I know several founders who are like me. I do think that we are founders because we can't do anything else very well. Yeah. You're completely unemployable. I'm sure. Correct. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a badge of honor. I think it's, it's kind of a problem, but thankfully in this world, we can divert our energy in a good way, in a productive way. Right. So give me the like 20 second, I think you and I both like know each other well enough and know enough about True Accord and everything else that we will probably just keep going without actually describing what True Accord does. Um, right. So can you give me like a quick 20, 30 second on like what it actually is and then we'll dive into features and all that? Yeah, absolutely. So True Accord aims to radically change the user experience for consumers in debt collection. Our North Star metric is what percentage of interactions that consumers have about their debt every year we are involved in. So the CFB wow. says there are 77 million consumers a year that are impacted by debt collection. We want to touch each and every one of them. So it's not an N of one experience. It's not, Hey, I have this debt over here, this debt over here. It's a, correct. it's a much larger kind of share of wallet desire. Right. Exactly. So our wedge into the market is a vertically integrated collection agency. Why? This is was where we could introduce the technology. We couldn't sell it to technology to, to collection agencies. They don't know how to buy that. Couldn't sell it yeah. to banks. We just created the agency so that we can actually deliver the service and the user experience. And now we're at scale, serving four and a half million consumers a month. Based on that, we can expand to other areas. Expansion area number one, the consumer has more than one debt with us as a servicer. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, right? Expansion yeah. area number two, the bank says, hey, help me with early stage defaults because consumers are not paying me early stage and I, and I won't help there. That's our pre-charge of product. We can talk about that. And this is very re- relevant to COVID. And expansion area three is the consumer says, this was a great experience. I need help with other debts that you're not servicing because we're always not, we're never going to be 100% of the market because of risk management reasons. We give them engage to manage all of their debts with the same user experience. So we are not expanding into performing loans. We're not expanding into improving your credit score. We are just dealing with the debt collection experience. But despite that, like talk a little bit about your NPS just quickly, um, because you're talking about something that generally I think people makes people cringe, makes people run the other direction and makes people like just the general, you know, I think we over associate with the taxi industry and all these other industries that they're just bad people. Maybe that's not true across the whole industry, but like how, how are you different than the classical? I think one of my favorite things that you talk about is like how true accord, um, is changing the kind of old school of telemarketing quote unquote. Um, talk a little, a little about that. Yeah. So what's it, what's a traditional collection agency? Many people, low base, high commission. They only make money when they actually collect from someone. Right. And they come in the morning, they get a list of accounts. They start bombarding them on the phone, get the consumer yeah. on a cold call. And their job is to get the consumer to pay as much as possible. Obviously under the best circumstances, it's a bad, it's a bad experience. 
towards the end of the month, even in the most quote unquote compliant agencies, you see compliance violations, people yelling at consumers and so on to make their numbers. So what, let's, let's pause there. What is, what does compliance mean? And cause I hear you talk about it a lot and it, I think of debt collection compliance as like, you have to send a set of rote, you know, uh, like three pages of whatever front and back, like, right. you know, eight point font, something like that. Is there compliant, like almost in a, in a way that you would on a retirement account, like a fiduciary duty or like, is there some like, Hey, don't be an asshole. Like, is there anything additional or what is there additional to that? Just kind of contractual piece of compliance. Well, there's the long way and the short way to answer this. I think the long way is a little bit technical and boring. So I'm going to try and be yeah. short. Fair. This is a highly regulated activity, multiple statutes, federal state level clients audit you several times per year. Mm. And there are many limitations on what you can do and when you can do it and what you need to say before you can do it and so on. And also gotcha. the fair debt collectors collections practices act, the um, federal statute is a strict liability law with a private right of action, which means that you made a mistake, you're going to be punished and you can be sued by the consumer. So there's a cottage industry of lawyers who sue companies on contingency on nonsense. Sometimes gotcha. it's the right thing. A lot of times yeah. is that is that, I don't know, you misspelled the word and that was a violation. Sure. And there's an industry around that. Within all of that, and you're right, you can be compliant and then provide a shitty user experience that impresses consumers. And that's the thing with public policy. You can't, of course, there's this concept of unfair and deceptive acts and practices. One, the regulator can't be in everyone's office, shouldn't mm -hmm. be. And you can perpetuate a lot of abuse, and a lot of bad behavior that is strictly in the strict sense of the word legal, not ethical. Yeah. Not helpful, yeah. but legal. There's a, lot of, yeah, there's a lot of legal shit in this world that's still pretty fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And part of the problem is that people don't think about this as a user experience and how do we delight consumers and how do we use right. technology to, to offer personalized experience based on their channel of choice. They all yeah. want to play a lawyer on TV. Right. And they also probably don't call them consumers the way you do. I bet they call them debtors or they call them deadbeats or they call it, you know, generally it's probably not that same kind of even ethos in terms of who they're dealing with. I'm, in, I'm many, guessing. in many cases it's not, but the, the important thing to understand here is that there are people in the debt collection industry who are not bad people. There are people who are like bottom feeders, but those aren't the ones that are just bad actors. Sure. Right. There's decent humans in the payday loan industry. When you dig deep enough, you exactly. know, it's, they're there. And, yeah. and here's, and here's the point. <clears throat> Our discussion of the needs of subprime consumers, consumers that are in financial need are that are experiencing issues is not sophisticated enough because the majority of people discussing the issue are not experiencing the issue. Right. right? So for them, debt collectors are evil and consumers are either um, victims or when they owe them money, deadbeats. Right. Right. And the reality is that consumers are neither. They're optimizing for survival and in, in a relatively rational way in a very complex yep. environment under a lot of constraints. Debt collectors could be relatively good people, but be encumbered by legacy and a, in a, um, uh, business model 
that forces them to behave a certain way. Now, granted, we're not talking about, you know, you don't go to Ivy League and then start a collection agency. Let's be blunt about this. You know, we're not talking about people who are like on their way to be a senator and, and said, oh, by the way, I'm going to start a collection agency. People, yeah. people end up in the debt collection uh, profession as their third or fourth career choice. And, yeah. and, and they don't find, and even if they're really smart and capable and so on, my point is that it's not where they find, they find their passion. They don't wake up every morning saying, I'm going to change the world of this collection. No, they wake up and say, I got a good car, I'm going to go golfing. Oh, by the way, yeah. I also run a collection. Make money. Yeah. Right. And having that mind share that we have to say, how do we rethink the whole thing? How do we build a machine learning based, digital first, mobile first solution that behaves like an automated sales and marketing campaign that gives consumers a, pos- a positive at scale experience that ends up with them, with them paying better, with better NPS, better CSAT? People don't spend time thinking about that. It's, they're not wired right. to do that. And that's the solution, right? That's the core of our engine heartbeat. That's the core of the offering. That's the core of why we outperform the competition. So listening to you on your soapbox right now makes me realize maybe how you got onto the, the CFPB advisory board. Yeah. <laughs> what, how, how did you, so let's go there. Like how did you get into that and how, maybe that's the transition into COVID. I think yeah. that's, that's an interesting piece. It's like, how much have you been wearing that hat since everything's hit? What, like, what have you seen there? Um, and I'm just out of sheer curiosity, knowing you, I'm just like the hilarity of what those meetings must be like. How, how did you get, how did you get on that board? Like, what were those conversations? Like? Well, you know, at the end of the day, I am passionate about this and I really believe in what we do. And, I was, and I'm like, yeah. well, we're mission driven and I actually mean it. Yeah. Um, it's, a lo- it's a luxury in a lot of ways. It is. I mean, it's, it's, it is. Yeah. But also, you know, I make fun of a lot of things. I don't make fun of people in debt. You know, I make fun of myself. I make fun of founders. I make fun of VCs. I make fun of people who are privileged and yeah. can, can take a kick in the ass every once in a while. People who, you know, a family member was sick or uh, lost their job or made mistakes or just didn't get good financial training and ended up being in debt, they don't deserve anyone's mockery. And so, right. so one, I have this approach, right? Yeah. Which I think is unique in the sense that you don't, you don't hear that from debt collectors, right? And two, when faced with regulation, I think you have two options. One is I'm going to stay away from it. Uh, pretend like it doesn't exist, uh, do my thing and then hope that they don't pay attention or that by the time they pay attention, I'll have enough momentum that they have to adjust themselves uh, to me, Right. Uh, which is called the Uber way, uh, or you can embrace it. And yeah. I chose to embrace it. I chose to embrace it for, for two reasons. First and, f- reasons. First and foremost, I thought that if we did, we would end up where we are now, which I'll get to that in a moment. And two, yeah. I would go to jail if I didn't. That's, uh, that seems like a key piece, my friend. No, no. So, so yeah, but I, for me, it came after that meaning, like I knew I was going to do it. And then I was, and then I also discovered that, oh, in many States, if I do these things, I have criminal liability. Yeah. Um, Orange jumpsuits and doing the right thing are both solid incentives. Correct. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. So from, from almost day one, um, 2013, when we were just working on the, like the inklings of the product, um, I went, I started going to Project Catalyst, which is the CFAB's office hours. Yeah. And just, uh, I, I just think they were surprised to hear someone talk about debt collection this way. So we got invited to visit the CFAB many times. 
meet with the research department, provide anonymized data, provide our approach. And also every time they invited people to react to anything, we just bombarded them with, I think, well thought out pieces like letters and, and, and charts and like, this is what's going on. And we're also yeah. to a large extent, a single issue voter. We're like technology and debt collection is better for consumers. Don't block technology. That's it. Yeah. We're not, you know, yeah. we're not trying to muck around with like, uh, uh, disclosures for other stats. I'm like, whatever, you don't want to go like another stat, great. You want to nix like uh, uh, lawsuits yeah. and debt collection, go. Like we yeah. focused on something very, that was very easy to box right. and say, You're, this is good for the consumer. Brand position was easy for the CFPB to get their head around. Correct. And like they, they think of this and then they think true accord is like a very direct association. That exactly. Makes sense. So that's, yeah. that's why, that's why. And, uh, we still have a good relationship there. I think to the extent that one can have a good relationship with a impartial regulator. Sure. Um, and I hope I'll make my, my way back into the consumer advisory board at some point. We'll see. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit that it's, I think that's a good transition into just like the world of what you're dealing with at true accord today. And a, a couple minutes ago, I think you said something about just the, the general belief in good humanity almost, you know, and I, I think a one interesting place to start is like, what have you seen since checks have started hitting people's accounts from the CARES Act? Like, have you seen an increase in volumes? Just kind of what's data been like volumes been like just throughout this whole process? Yeah. So first of all, let's start from the beginning of the year. Q1 yeah. is the strongest quarter for debt collection because people start getting their tax refunds and they start paying their debts. Makes sense. In our case, again, because you don't garnish wages or do anything funky like that, it's just people's choice. They choose to come to us. So yep. from usually the last week of February until the first, second week of April, you see the residual effect of people just paying and you see them paying. They, are, they do set up a lot of payment plans, but they also, to a very large extent, just pay down. They come, they negotiate a settlement, they pay their debt in full, um, and they just and they just pay. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the usual year. Spike last week of February. March is the strongest month of the year in terms of payment behavior. It tapers off in April, and then Q3 seasonal. People don't have jobs. It's pretty bad. Q4 picks up again. It's like a very seasonal business. Yeah. And you've been out at what, seven, seven, eight years now. So you've probably seen like that's consistent, not just across the industry, but across true record. Correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, we, we kind of launched in earnest in the end of 2014, but yeah, we definitely have enough years to, yeah. to, um, to compare. So first of all, once COVID hit, once uh, the uh, stay at home orders came for California, so like mid March, all of the um, seasonal behavior went away mm. almost overnight. So the proportion of payments, um, um, not in payment plan just dropped to pre tax season uh, times uh, email opens and click rates, which are, you know, top of the funnel for us for how do people react to emails, texts, and so on. Right. Dropped relatively to previous to pre-tax season levels and new payment plan creation meaning people who sign up for a payment plan on a daily basis that also the volume right. there also dropped to pre-tax season so it was like so basically every kpi correct like tax dropped. season went away overnight in the middle yeah. of march yeah um well was that after so did that have to do with the irs pushing the actual date on taxes being due or was that truly like 
shit's hitting the fan in the world and therefore this is happening. Like, what do you kind of attribute that back the to? The latter. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely the latter. We've also heard that from consumers. People start calling, people start. So we, we, so we immediately launched a few things. We launched an informational page for people, you know, COVID, this is how we react. These are your options and so on. We expanded their ability to set up payment plans that are more flexible on the website. We expanded their people's ability to customize their payment plan. Once they're on a payment plan, come to our dashboard and basically say, this is not working for me anymore. I need lower payments, long, longer payment plans, so on. So we launched right. all of these things. And we launched through Engage a way to ask for relief on your debts that are not on our platform. And all of these saw spikes in usage, like really high spikes in usage. So yeah, people told us yeah. either explicitly calling and saying, hey, I lost my job and I need right. to change my payment arrangement or implicitly through their behavior and how they use the features that we, that we put out. Yeah. Was that a mad scramble to build all that? Or was that like a puck that you all were already skating to? Half and half. Yeah. It's a, it's a puck that you're skating to and then a fire got lit under your ass. Well, yeah, somewhat. Yeah. So part of why the system works well is because we have a bunch of people. We have, we have the machinery to say, here is a difference in behavior that the consumers are displaying. We can detect it with data. We can understand why it is. We can interview yeah. some consumers. Let's just plug in a new treatment and let heartbeat optimize it on its own. So right. the machinery and the people and the experience was there. And some of those features were already in development and we're like, okay, let's accelerate this and let's just get this to market really quickly. Um, the engaged team is kind of like our magic makers. Uh, so they, they definitely went from zero to a hundred in a, in a week. The timing um, of that's unbelievable, man. Yeah. The, what, the, it's pretty incredible what small teams can achieve. It's almost, almost tempting to starve teams to let them work better. <laughs> um, not one pizza, not two. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So, um, so that was that. We saw that really drop yeah. off this spike yeah. on new features. Yeah. How about since CARES Act, like checks of it? That has been very interesting. So we're like, okay, checks are coming. We don't know what that's going to do. Um, we've learned through experimentation that, that um, explicitly telling people, hey, refunds are coming or checks are coming. Maybe you want to pay your debt is not something that people appreciate. We tried it a few years ago. So like, hey, oh. we are not going to be pushy. We're just going to be yeah. there. People want to talk to us. Great. And we, we, thought, we thought, you know, potentially people are going to want to do it because um, in, through surveys, a not negligible percentage of people said we're going to use this for paying down debt. And also the engaged team is kind of steeped in the debt, debt free world. They're mm -hmm. active on Instagram, they're active in the community, you know, talking to people in that world. And that was, that's qualitatively what they were hearing. People saying, Hey, I want to pay down debt. This is what I'm going to use it for. Um, yeah. But we didn't expect what was happening. So this week, starting Monday, it's been an insane spike yeah so what like just everybody coming out of the woodwork kind of just you know what you would hope humans would do when they have money coming to them and just kind of what you would expect like they're gonna go pay down their debts do the right thing and then keep building their economic lives from there kind of a thing correct tax season yeah. the sequel literally so this year tax season the first big wave of checks hit on the 26th so we saw you spike Okay. And kind of, and then the elevated behavior until COVID cut it off. Yeah. And this week, the 15th or two days ago, 
was yep. a similar spike, only about 25% higher. That's wild. It is wild. That's wild. Yeah. How's your call? So you've been, sh- I mean, obviously the, the team in Kansas City is working remote from that. And that's where most yeah. of the, the call, that is the call center. That is, right, from that is the call center. Also a lot of, um, by, by the way, a lot of other talented people, engineering, finance, legal, just great talent in Kansas city. Don't come. Oh, I mean, don't, you don't, don't have to come. Tell me. Leave them to me, but you know, <laughs> uh, you don't have to tell me that all the talents just hidden in this one little beautiful Midwestern town. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm quite familiar as I look over my beautiful city here. Yeah. Um, how are they reacting? Like, what's that been? I mean, it has to be, I'm sure better for them than it is for other debt collectors in Kansas city right now, which we seem to have a good amount of, um, just in terms of, you know, their incentive structures different, like, yeah. what's that been like since they've shifted working from home? Um, yeah, just generically culturally even too. I'm kind of curious. It's, it's different for me as someone who spends some of his time working from home, it's actually nice. Everyone's online. Uh, yeah. I'm enjoying this. We're doing a lot of zoom meetings, you know, like happy hours and stuff like that. A yeah. lot of over communication of what's going on a bi-weekly Q&A yeah. with leadership and everything. Um, I think people are split or some people are like, this is the best thing ever. And some people yeah. are like, I hate this and I want to be around people. Definitely split. Uh, in terms of the setup, we have a great IT department. They got everyone set up in just a few days when Kansas City announced the, the stay at home order. Yeah. Um, debt collection is still like a, an essential business. So, you know, we, we can go to the office if we need to, but uh, we sent as many people home as possible um, to keep everyone safe. Uh, they're working really hard right now because of inbound communication, like people calling, wanting to pay and so on. Uh, even yeah. though the majority of our activity, like 96% of our activity is completely automated. The additional mm-hmm. 4% is a lot because we service millions of consumers and it's not a big yeah. team. It's just a few dozens. Yeah. Um, that has to be a hard job sometimes emotionally. Like I bet there's some really high highs and some really low lows for them, right? For sure. But one of the things that we liked about Kansas City is the collections talent. Meaning yeah. you get people who've been doing this for 10 years, fighting for commission. And then you tell yeah. them, you come in, this is a startup, you get stock options, you get a good salary, no commission. You can, and you can use your knowledge to actually help people you can, you know, you want to ask them to pay, but you don't need to push them. And this is about right. customer experience. And people love it. Love it. Yeah. Well, you say up front, you're a debt collector, right? And then from there, you can have whatever conversation that, right. you know, leads in whatever direction. That's exactly right. But, but in, in addition to that, because they don't need to call people. Right. People call them. It's a completely different conversation. Yeah. Right. So for people who've done yeah. debt collection for 10 years, you come to them and say, Hey, this is a completely different thing. You're basically our customer care team. It's yeah. a huge difference. It's a, yeah, I would love to at some point down the line, maybe when all this is kind of over and done, I'd love to do an interview with like you and one of the, one of that team or something like that. I think it'd be really yeah. interesting to have a conversation about like the history of Kansas city's, you know, I, I think I, you saw that tweet that I did the other day when I was announcing bond and just like how yes. beautiful this shift from that fucking dirty money episode and seeing that insanity and like in mm-hmm. the same County, you know, like 10 years later or whatever it is, you guys are doing what you're doing. It's just, 
ah, we strive to find the things that put smiles on our faces right now. And this is definitely, you know, it's one of the things that makes me really happy. So yeah, it's, it's really gratifying to talk that, about that, that shift yeah. there in, in Overland Park, right? That's the, that's the yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, well, Johnson County in general, right? Like it's one of those hidden, hidden gems of like, it's, you know, right behind Orange County on the wealth list, but also we have this, just a really interesting economy and it's, it makes a lot of sense that you've moved there. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about, um, kind of one more true accord thing. And then I have like some random questions for you. And one of them, I'm super curious what, uh, what, what your thoughts are going to be. Um, so you joke a lot on Twitter. I mean, you joke a lot in general, but specifically on Twitter, you joke a lot about uh, true accord becoming a consumer brand. Uh-huh. And part of me, like, I know that that is not a joke all the way through, you know, a piece of like developing that full debt life and that kind of share of mm-hmm. wallet. I don't have a better term than share of wallet. So I'll just use that. That makes That's sense. how I think about it. Share of wallet. That's sure. how you think about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you've also joked before about true accord debit card coming soon. Yeah. And the more that I dig in, the more I'm thinking that's not a joke, the more it seems like that actually might make a lot of sense or like a credit product, a debit, whatever it is, it seems like both sides of that balance sheet are going to exist for you guys over time. Is that something you can talk more about or is that, do we need to sign an NDA? <laughs> no, you don't need to sign an NDA. We absolutely want to offer services to consumers that are actually going to help them. Yeah. Um, and if something really passes muster or we talk to consumers, we look at the data and make sense. We think we have a competitive advantage. We will do it. We will at least experiment with it. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also instructive that when we chose, what is our first direct to consumer product? It wasn't that consolidation. It wasn't a debit card. It was this out of left field communications platform to, to make consumers and collectors meet. Like we're trying to be very thoughtful about what yeah. we do in a way that is distinguished. I make fun a little bit of, you know, there's like a feature con- convergence among all yeah. fintech players. Yeah. The rebundling of the unbundling. Correct. And it's a little bit, yeah. a little bit challenging for me to understand, like, how do you make sense of it? And how, how do I understand this is anything else than ra- irrational exuberance because everybody has money. I don't understand how you can be top of wallet with 30 different debit cards out there. You just have 30 wallets. Oh, hot. Exactly. The same consumer. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So, so the, the, and that is, that to me is the issue. Like if I was convinced that we have the, uh, the brand affinity and the knowledge and the ability to cons- acquire consumers at scale for, for low CAC, that's going to allow us to, offer that, that, that means that we need to offer a, a product like a credit product. I'll do it <laughs> for sure. The thing that I like about engage is it's an idea that other people have had in the past, but no one could actually get it off the ground because no one can acquire 10 to 20,000 consumers a month for free. Right. So t- talk about that two-sided kind of, cause it feels a little too, are do you actually have a relationship with the debtor that they're going, or not the debtor, sorry, with the, uh, lender, I guess it would be that they're going back and forth with like, or is there a little bit of a Trojan horse there in terms of like, Hey, let's, let's create this conversation back and forth. And Oh, by the way, if you want to make this conversation even easier lender, you could just actually implement true accord and we could help you with all this, like kind of, is that part of the strategy? Well, so engaging our collections products are two separate entities, two separate teams who manage their business separately. Right. But could engage lead to, is one of the goals of engage to lead into that other product, like kind of getting, getting a wider net out there. Well, 
I don't know if this is exactly how the, the team would uh, articulate it, but the goal of all of our products is to show enough value that everyone says, hey, we want to be part of that ecosystem. Yeah, that Either we sense. use them as a servicer or we use Engage to communicate with consumers and so on. Yeah, we want to be helpful yeah. in both ways. And, and yeah, a lot of our discussion is about, well, how do we actually create value so that everyone wants to get involved? And yeah. part of the challenge, part of the reason why Engage is important is because... Um, Creditors and especially collectors will not communicate with consumers digitally because they say we don't have consent and compliance and so on. An excuse, an incorrect excuse, but an excuse nonetheless. So if you're a consumer and we can tell you, here's what you write, here's where you send it to, mm-hmm. right? But based on what you want, right? We're not going to dictate, right? But based on what you want, here's how you say it. Here's the inbox yeah. to send it to. And yeah. here's what other people have done that worked for them. Yeah. You've been- have you been following Do Not Pay? Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds familiar in terms of just like listening to their CEO talk. It does. It sounds like arming the consumer with the proper set of terms and knowledge to be able to work through a system on their own and just like supporting them through that with resources. Is that like high level? It sounds like it aligns a lot. Yeah. I think, I think in terms of positioning, it's a little bit less combative. Uh, and you sure, know, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Do not pay is definitely a little bit of like a, an internet based middle finger to the man in its own way. Yeah. And I think that's very satisfying, but I do yeah. think that this is such a complex situation and just, I don't think, I don't think showing a finger to capital one is going to get you anywhere. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I want to help consumers get out of debt and feel empowered yeah. and feel like they have agency. And so yeah. it's about structuring the conversation and making everybody feel comfortable. I love it, man. Well, so two, two more things here. One is a question I'm pretty sure you weren't expecting, and I'm very curious if you've gotten it before. Okay. Um, but leaning into, you know, you being one of the more interesting people in the world of debt collections, you wrote a book at one point um, called Online Payments Risk Management. Yes. And if you could pick one voice in the world of voiceovers to do an incredibly, you know, engaging audible for the online payments risk management. Uh-huh. What what voice in the world would you pick to be your audible voice? First, I I highly doubt this <laughs> book can be made approachable or, you know, uh, interested, uh, yeah, interesting in any way to anyone who's not like deep into the, the craft. I wrote it to offer it for free for people to just, you know, be able to ramp up on the first few months of risk management. Um, It definitely question remains though. I know. I know. I'm just saying there's one last thing I I want to acknowledge. It it needs to be reviewed for grammar. I wrote it a very long time ago and and it deserves another, another edition. Um, In terms of, well, you know, in, in terms of giving it justice and giving it credibility, if I could get Max Levchin to read it, I would do it. <laughs> All right. In fair. case of what would, what would give me satisfaction, Will Ferrell, for sure. Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell as Will Ferrell or like Will Ferrell as Ron Burgundy? Ron like Burgundy who, who, or that, Ron that, Burgundy. Okay. that the drunk dad uh, on the sidelines oh. yelling at his kid in the ball game or something like that. Yeah. How would that, I mean, I would listen to that no matter what it is. I, you would, know, I think I would too. you got a winner on your hands here. Yeah. We'll put you in touch with Will Ferrell. We'll make this happen. Please. By the way, also married <laughs> to a Swedish woman. So maybe there's a connection. 
There you go. There you go. Um, and the last one is just, you know, in the world, I saw you put something on one of our, one of like the thousand slacks that we're on together um, about hiring a PM. Just what can, you know, what can listeners of for FinTech sake, what can, what can we do to support you? Are you hiring? Um, how can we help? Yeah. So how can you help? You can help by talking to everyone about the cool company you heard that's about that's changing the world of debt collection. And if they need to collect on anything, don't assume that you need to harass your consumers into oblivion because that is incorrect, proven qualitatively and quantitatively. Work with these guys who understand data science and APIs and work with them. Uh, if you have employees that are in trouble, you're letting people go, you know people who are in financial distress, offer them engage because a lot of the features are for free. And yes, we are hiring um, in right now with COVID where you don't know what's going, what's, what's happening, what's going to happen. We're hiring very carefully. We do have a few positions open in engineering and product, especially and one in design. And we would love to work with great people. One of the coolest things for me in product is that, especially in the product positions we're hiring for, is that as a product manager, you have direct impact on our revenue. Meaning it's not that you build something that someone else sells. You can basically improve the performance for consumers. And as a result, impact our revenue in a big way. And that is uh, very satisfying, I think, as a product manager. I love it, man. Awesome. Well, I think uh, based on an hour, hour listening to you, people will have some understanding of what you're doing and some excitement about it too. So thanks for so. taking the time, man. Always fun chatting with you. Likewise. I hope you enjoyed this episode of For Fintech's Sake. If you want to get in touch with me, chat about the podcast or learn more about Bond, please reach out. You can get in touch with me via email at Zach at For Fintech's Sake or Zach at Bond.tech or find me on Twitter at Zach Pettit or at For Fintech's Sake. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, and your losses low. See y'all.